The Informed Fitness Podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial Audible membership at audibletrial.com forward slash inbound. The broader purpose for why I think people do want to exercise is for their health. And underneath the umbrella of health is, you know, your body composition, your muscle mass, your endurance to do whatever you want to do, whether it's just walking upstairs the subway or if it's a sport or something like that. You know, it's, I know we've, re, we've uh, discussed this a little bit in previous podcasts, but I think it sometimes gets into the, you know, goes into the myths a little bit when you're trying to think about, A, is there a perfect exercise? Is there one exercise to do everything? And then uh, what could that be? And then, of course, the answer is it's different for everybody. That was certified personal trainer, Mike Rogers, who also happens to be the general manager of the Inform Fitness Manhattan location and, of course, co-host for the past 53 episodes of the Inform Fitness Podcast. Welcome in. I'm Tim Edwards with the Inbound Podcasting Network, and this is episode number 54. Today, Mike Rogers and the founder of Inform Fitness, Adam Zickerman, dispel a few exercise myths that are often touted as truth by some popular TV trainers who are vying for ratings or authors who are looking to sell books. While some fitness myths are harmless, others might actually cause injury or simply just waste your time. Some of the myths discussed in this episode are will women bulk up if they participate in the informed fitness slow motion high intensity strength training protocol? Is there one perfect exercise for everyone? Or how about the myth that if you want to see results, you have to vary your exercise regime? That will be discussed and debated in this episode, as well as, does soreness indicate a good workout? So let's get to it and let Mike Rogers and Adam Zickerman, otherwise known as the guru, debunk some of the not-so-helpful exercise myths. Okay, everybody, welcome to the show. Mike and I are going solo today. We are? Yeah, no, no interview, no, no guests, just you and me. If, we're, if it's two of us, are we solo or are we duo? All right, so we're, we're going to be talking about the 10 most popular myths uh, in exercise. So myth number one, that there is a magic bullet to losing weight as far as exercise program. There is the particular perfect exercise to lose weight. Basically, what I meant by that question was uh, cardio. Do you need to do cardio to lose weight? Most people think yes, that in order to really lose weight, you got to add cardio to your workout. And we say no, right? I don't think all the answers are black and white, frankly. I think in general, most of the people that we've experienced and we've worked with and from all the science that we've read, no, it does not require uh, cardio in the conventional sense in order to lose weight. But I mean, that's, that's what you were meant by uh, there's one perfect exercise to lose weight because that is also another one of them, which is you need to do cardio to oh. lose weight. Yeah. All right. So a little redundant in the list. <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, there's no perfect workout for it any group of people. I mean, it's, it's what's best for you. The thing is, people associate lots of different activities as exercise. And sometimes we've been very uh, strict with the concept of what's recreation, what's exercise. And other times, I think we've been a little bit lenient on what those things are because we know that certain, certain things that people do for exercise are really recreation, but they have a quote-unquote right. exercise effect associated right. with them. And I think that's why a lot of the points that we're going to discuss are what people think in the conventional, traditional sense. But I think why I think it's worth having this podcast and discussing them is because I think it's, it's trying to create understanding. So hopefully we can 
be talking the same language when we are discussing. It's more nuanced than people think. Like when we do talk about exercise, I mean, we have a real definition of exercise, strength training. But sometimes I don't like confusing the issue with clients by saying, well, that's not really exercise, that's more recreation. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, in their mind, that doesn't make sense and it adds more confusion when you start. So then you have to start saying, well, my version of exercise means strength training and doing it safely and everything else to me is like recreational pursuits. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, we want you to be active. And if you want to call that exercise, now it's a matter of just like semantics. So I don't, want, I don't like confusing the issues. So, okay, let's call steady state exercise. Let's call mm -hmm. riding on a moderate level a bicycle or a, going on a treadmill at a moderate level and reading a magazine to mm -hmm. the point where you can read a magazine or you pass the talk test, right? While you're doing it, you can right. have a conversation, which is a talk test. You know, I call that recreation uh, because it doesn't fit the actual definition, our very strict definition of exercise. Uh, nonetheless, we recommend that you do high-intensity exercise once or twice a week and then moderate activity the rest of the week. Mm -hmm. And if you want to call that activity sport or recreation or exercise, so be it. I'm not yeah. going to nitpick on words. Right. Sometimes people misunderstand us when we are when we say that that's that. not exercise when we say that's not exercise what do you mean that's not exercise it's good mm -hmm. cardio and stuff like that and yeah. then we start getting into a fight instead of really making right. it, influencing people to understand well, putting yeah. activity so what i do like for example uh i was at i was at a party and uh i was introduced to this guy who was doing the workout with me for for many many years and it's a good friend of his and i was introduced to him for the first time I said, what is this 20 minute workout do you really think 20 minutes once a week is enough exercise and, and, and again here we go again because you know people think really you should be doing exercise every day of some sort and and, and i won't disagree with that except mm -hmm. my definition of exercise is really just the high intensity part so instead of doing saying that to him i said no i don't think it's enough i mm -hmm. actually said no i i think it's enough for the intense part of your week so i started instead of redefining exercise and recreation for him what i did instead was frame intensity and moderation i said no, it's not enough overall. It's enough for your intense bouts of exercise. You shouldn't do much more than really intense exercise once or twice a week for about 20 minutes at a time. After that, moderate activity of any kind, given your tolerance for risk, is fine with me. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, and he's like, okay. And I didn't have to get into the whole exercise versus recreation argument and definition. So that, you know, that's a case in point. When you are defining things and trying to create, I think it, 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 you're going into um, thinking about what is the purpose, the broader purpose for why I think people do want to exercise is for their health. And underneath the umbrella of health is, you know, your body composition, um, your, your muscle mass, your endurance to do whatever you want to do, whether it's just walking upstairs in the subway or if it's a sport or something like that. You know, it's, I know we've, re, we've uh, discussed this a little bit in previous podcasts, but I think it's sometimes gets into the, you know, goes into the myths a little bit when you're trying to think about a, is there a perfect exercise? Is there one exercise to do everything? And then uh, what could that be? And then, of course, the answer is no. You know, and, and, or I should say it is different for everybody, you know? Right. So, uh, okay, let's move on. Let's move on to something that's a little more black and white. All right. Uh, women who lift weights will bulk up. Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of women are afraid of bulking. It's the question we get in every single consultation, and uh, Many of them. Uh, from but from I just women. can't believe this day and age in two thousand what year we in eighteen that uh, women still have that fear of bulking up from weight training. Uh, it it, it kind of blows my mind. Uh, yet it it does exist still, and there are some women on the extremes of the bell curve that actually do bulk up uh, by working out, but there's so there's so few of them. 
It's mm-hmm. like you have a better chance of becoming a rock star than bulking up from working out with weights. Well, I think, you know, sometimes I think when some people, when they exercise or they do a new form of exercise, sometimes they have that initial gain, that initial yeah. adaptation. And I think sometimes it may manifest itself initially as a little bit of increased muscle size, which maybe intimidate people. You associate that within your mind, seeing other powerlifting females who are looking to increase their size in the way, I guess, most women uh, who are afraid of it do not want to. Frankly, Adam, it doesn't surprise me that this still exists over all this time. You know, I think people, they want their bodies to look a certain way. They have insecurities about certain things. They, they want to make sure that they are going in the right direction. I understand why they believe that, but the, as you pointed out, the uh, the fact is that usually that is uh, those are outlying scenarios, and um, and for most people, unless they have certain genetics to where they're going to have that predisposition, they're just going to be going to be just fine. <laughs> they're probably going to have a similar body composition as they have always had, or and with just hopefully more more muscle, and they'll be stronger and more capable to do whatever they want to do. Very good. Thank you for that. Very in depth. Analysis. Did I ramble too much? A little bit, yeah, a little bit too right, much. I'm working. I'm working on trying to be more succinct. Yeah, let's try. I got a long let, way let's to see go. How, okay, let's. I got a long let, way to go. Let's do another one. See how succinct you can be on this okay. next one. Okay. <laughs> if it's a stretching one, forget about <laughs> it. <laughs> no, let, let's uh, let's try this one. That, that in order to see really good results, you have to constantly vary your exercise, change change it up a lot. I think that's a really interesting uh, topic because. See, you're already too long. Okay. Can't you say yes or no? <laughs> um, it, the, the myth is, is it important to vary your exercises? To, 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 to maximize your results. Right. Yeah. I think in the general sense for the, the reasons why people feel they have to do that, I think the answer is succinctly, simply no. Oh, my God. I can't believe it. He actually... But... But... <laughs> <laughs> from my experience, people, once again, are very, very, very different. All right. So if somebody said to me, if somebody was in my office and said, hey, do I have to vary my exercise to work at? And, 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 and right off the, I would say actually no. The point is, ultimately, if you pick five exercises that works out the whole body and you do those intensely enough, and that varies from person to person, how mm-hmm. intense it needs to be. And if you do it often enough, which can probably be anywhere from once to may, maybe even three times a week, mm-hmm. uh, again, uh, the variables being intensity and age and things like that. But but once you find your sweet spot, all right, and and you are getting stronger and staying strong, you, you know, five exercises, you know, like a leg press or a leg sc- or, or a squat, a push-ups or, or pull-ups or a varying amount of exercise will work all the muscles in your body. And it can only be maybe five or six or even less exercises to do that. And you can stay very strong your whole life doing that. So, so the answer is no, you don't have to vary your exercise. Now, having said that, varying exercises can have lots of value. People vary. People have different injuries. So you might have to do different exercises with them to get to all the muscles and, and work around certain injuries. But also from a psychological point of view, people to motivate people to stick with a program, they get bored. And, and if it means varying the exercise to deal with boredom and their personality of needing things to change or else they're not going to stick to That's it. That's pretty much the then, gist. Yeah. yeah, then I'm all for that too. But it doesn't mean they need it in terms of their physicality and, and the physiology. But, they, but, but, but if, if it means not need. doing it, if it means not right. doing it, then yeah, let's vary the exercises. For some people, I and think that's my succinct answer. Right. Period. I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah. But a lot, for a lot of people, uh, I think they, they are motivated by newness. 
Okay. And, uh, yeah. and I mean, uh, we have, I have tons of clients. They absolutely love doing the same five exercises right. all the time. Right. And, that, and they get yeah. phenomenal results from sure. doing so. Right. A, lot, a lot has to do with psychological motivation. Yep. But I think to, just to add on to your point, I think people think that adaptation is a bad thing. Mm. And I think that's the thing that I think is like, is on its head. I think people think that like when you do the chest press so many times, they're like, oh, you know, Mike, uh, I felt so sore when I first started coming here and mm -hmm. I never feel sore anymore. And yeah. they think, oh, that's a really, really bad thing. And I, therefore, I didn't have as good of a workout anymore. Yeah. I think that's the big that confusing factor because people associate soreness yeah. and that with. Well, there's a myth for you right there, by the way. Does soreness indicate a good workout? If you don't get sore, did you have a shitty workout? Absolutely not. A yeah. lot of people do believe there that. That's there's a, the myth that just, I wanted on the list. That's okay. the myth you wanted on the list. <laughs> so. No, but the, uh, but the but the thing is, when pre-90X and insanity and all those things came out, yeah. the, the the word, the term muscle confusion yeah. became very popular. Uh, yeah. And I think that's- Well, it was, it was popular before that. When I was on Crossfire, I don't know if you remember, you had that, that what was it? Uh, Denise, Denise, Denise Austin, Austin yeah. right? Uh, she said on CNN to, to, to balance, uh, you know, what I said. Which you know, I was basically making the, the point that you don't have to keep varying exercises, and she made the point: no, you got to confuse the muscle. Yeah. And I and I just said, wait a second, how do you confuse a muscle? Muscles don't think, right? Mm -hmm. Don't you have to think to be confused? You know. And so, and then I got a chuckle from the audience right. when I said that. So you know, but yes, a lot of people do think that you again, you have to keep varying it to actually get results. But I I just made the point that that hasn't been proven at all. Right. And I have clients for years that don't. Very, very much from their routine. Again, not to say that some people respond better to variation and things like that. I, I don't really have a problem with variation, but this idea that you have to constantly vary for variation's sake to confuse muscle, which is a nebulous term, it's just misleading. And it can lead to a lot of injuries for people, right. and, and, and it goes hand in hand with the myth of soreness being an right. important factor, because when you do change workout a lot, you do get sore more often. Right. But soreness in, in and of itself has not been proven to be an indicator of a good workout. Right, right. But oh, one, yep. one last thing, I would say yeah. variance, again, doesn't necessarily mean different exercises. It could also mean like changes in frequency or frequency, tempo. Routine, or routine, maybe the order or, of the exercises, exactly. things like and I that. Think, but I think that's where if you're going to try, and that's what I try to do first before anything, yes. try to create a little bit of variance in not the exercise itself, but exactly like how I would actually uh, uh, do that, ex that exercise. One more point I want to make about variation uh, before we go, and I'll make it quick. And that is the more you vary an exercise and change the order of things and change the exercise, it's harder to quantify results because you want to compare apples to apples. So I like to try to keep variation to a minimum or at least consistently vary things so I can compare workout to workout and really measure true progress. I hope that makes sense. Absolutely. All right, let's, let's move on a little bit. Another myth, another big myth is the uh, stretching thing. All right. Everyone thinks you have to stretch. Everyone thinks specifically that when you stretch, you're lengthening muscle. When you stretch, that you're preventing injury, enhancing mm -hmm. athletic performance. I'm not a big proponent of that. I, I just don't. Mm -hmm. I don't buy it. Science doesn't show it. Uh, I've never been able to really, in, in my 20 years, uh, seen people drastically improve their flexibility to the point where it's made a big change in their life. I mean, I haven't seen it. People are who they are. I think people that try to become more flexible 
and work against their genetics and their, their skeletal structure, which, which really largely determines their marital flexibility. And there's nothing you can do about that. For example, when you have very deep hip sockets, you're not as flexible. Your femur can't move out as wide when it's deep into a hip socket. But there are a lot of people that have very shallow hip sockets and it allows their femur to go a lot wider. So somebody that has very deep hip sockets that's trying to do a split Mm -hmm. is going to just end up really screwing up their joint, mm -hmm. their hip joint, uh, to the point where they're going to need surgery and serious injuries. Mm -hmm. So this idea of enhancing flexibility to, to improve a performance or, or some kind of notion that being more flexible is healthier, it's, it's just, it's just hasn't been shown to be true at all. But I know I always get a lot of pushback when I say this because a lot of people feel good when they stretch and, and they feel like they're more centered when they stretch. And I get that too. But that to me, again, we're getting back to definitions. Mm -hmm. To me, that is not necessarily stretching. That's more, more of a neurological thing that, mm -hmm. that when you do some light stretching, and it, it kind of lets your neurological system trust that it's okay to go in that direction mm -hmm. because of past trauma or, or, or muscle injuries in the past. Your muscles tend to kind of guard against going out and being as flexible as they can be. Mm -hmm. But aside from some of that light stretching that overcomes those neurological mm -hmm. issues, uh, again, stretching has not been shown. And there have been a lot of studies that try to show it, but the meta-analysis of all these studies so far, and again, if you want to know how I feel about studies in general, listen to the podcast we did with uh, Dr. Atia not too long ago. Uh, I'm not going to get into that right now. But the bottom line is, at this point, it, it, the jury is way out on the efficacy and how necessary stretching is, again, for the purpose of enhanced performance in sports and, of course, preventing injury. Now, I know you have plenty to say on this. Mark. I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it short. I generally agree with every single thing you just said. I think it has a lot to do with definitions and what goes on in the mind and what they're thinking about what is stretching and thing. I think when it comes to doing anything, like from waking up in the morning and feeling tight to uh, preparing yourself for a movement pattern that requires some sort of athletic, you know, like a little bit more range of motion, I think. What people, some people think that static stretching is what you have to do. And I think that's the traditional sense of stretching, which I think is absolutely, there's no science to support that that actually works. And I think that's where most people's minds go when it comes to doing the stretch. But the thing is, if you are, say, really, really tight in your back and shoulders and you reach your hands above your head and then try to do a little bit of a rotation with, back with your shoulder um, and your arms, it actually, and you bring your arms back to the front, it actually, you, what you just essentially did was a short movement. It's a light stretch. It feels phenomenal. And you do feel like you have a little bit better range of motion in your shoulder. What exactly did happen when you did that? Like, well, apparently like you, you release some synovial fluid, which lubricates the joints, which can happen in a lot of little just movements, yeah, you know? See, what, so all that you're describing, yeah. again, you know, that's to me, that's not really the kind of stretching I'm referring to. Yeah, well, I think I think you're referring to what I was saying about the movement patterns and right. neurological connections, reminding your body that it can do this. It, like you just said, uh, as you move these joints, if you've been sedentary for a while, been or, or or static for a while, like sleeping or sitting at a desk for a while, it, it helps to get the synovial fluid, which right. is really you know the lubrication of our joints. The synovial fluid, it's like putting oil in your car. Um, yeah, that that's that's all well and good. Now, the bottom line is the evidence does show that if you're going to like get up and just start doing static stretching when your muscles aren't ready, uh, it, likely you're going to, it could cause an injury even before or even make you more susceptible for an injury before you work out. Exactly. So uh, another point or two before we move on, because uh, I think, you know, uh, we, we, we covered it. But 
stretching to really trying to lengthen the muscle uh, actually weakens the muscle. And if you're doing that right before a sporting event, you can actually set yourself as a disadvantage for performance for that sporting event. And like you just said, also stretching a muscle like that uh, not only makes it weaker, but again, you can actually set it up for an injury. Mm-hmm. So not only does stretching necess- not necessarily prevent injury, but depending upon how severe your stretching is, you can actually be setting yourself up and increasing your risk for injury, right. very, not just reducing. Very quick, I think, just to like, just to, before we go on to the next myth, sure. I, I think it's uh, just sort of prescribed. It's like for people who are thinking, they're ridiculous, I have to stretch before I do something. Like, I think the best sort of way to look at it is like, for example, if you're going to run, walk a little bit and then jog a little bit and then jog a little faster. And it's like you're basically preparing yourself for increased range of motion when you're running by actually doing smaller movements that lead you into that activity. Yes. Something like that. And if you can't do a split or if you can't kick high and you want to be a rocket, um, you might not be able to be a rocket. You know, if you're a thin, lean, fast, fast, fast runner and you want to play football, you're probably better off trying to be like a safety or, or, or a wide receiver or a cornerback, not a lineman. And if you're a big, bulky guy that's not too fast but really strong, maybe you want to be a lineman, not a, not a sprinter. So you have to know what you're capable of. And we're not all capable of the same things just because we stretch. Being, just because I stretch doesn't mean I, I can become a rocket or a gymnast. All right, moving on. I agree. Moving on. Uh, what, else, what do you want to talk about? What be else? a horrible rocket. I'd be a hard. <laughs> I'm not tall enough. Right. Well, <laughs> I is, think I'm pretty enough. This, I mean, this is kind of an easy one, but I think still people really do get this wrong. Uh, uh, and that is the more time you work out, uh, the more fit you will be. Ah, the old more, the more you work out, the more fit you'd be. It's trick. unbelievable how many, how many times over the years where we've taken people who've had five, six days of exercise a week and then cut them down and they've right, felt me, better, their energy was better, their performance was better, and they've actually lost weight even more. Sometimes. Exactly. The more you work out, the better it is. Uh, the, the, the more fit you'll be, the healthier you'll get. All right. Now, this, this reminds me of Dr. McGuff's uh, dose-response relationship uh, of medicine. And just like medicine, exercise is a stimulus and you could overdose on it. And it reminds me of an analogy that I make. And that is, if, if you come in and, and you have... Uh, an infection. You have a you have a bacterial infection, and uh, you got a cough, and and uh, your nose is running, and you know you, you got a bug, and the doctor determines it's bacterial, and he gives you a, a uh, antibiotic, right? So you take this antibiotic, and he tells you to take one a day for ten days, and you have to take the whole course, all right? All you know, one a day for ten days, and you say to him, "But doc, you know, I got to go to bar mitzvah in five days." I got my nephew's bar mitzvah. What am I going to do? I mean, what I'm going to do is, if you don't mind, I'm going to actually, instead of taking one a day for 10 days, I'm going to actually take two a day for five days. It's the same thing, right? I mean, I'll get, if I take two a day, I'll get better twice as fast. And of course, a doctor, and most people realize that that doesn't work that way, right? You end up just taking too much. That's not going to, you're not going to get better twice as fast. And the same thing with exercise. When people say to me, should I do it twice a week? Should I work out three times a week? As if if you add another day, you're going you're gonna to double your results or triple your results. It just doesn't happen that way. You have to let the body, the body can only handle and grow and adapt at a certain rate. It's limited by how fast a, a muscle c- could adapt to a stimulus. So no, it, it's like Goldilocks and three bears. You, know, you have to do it just right. If you don't do it often enough, it's not enough exercise. If you do it too often, it's too much. 
and it can have detrimental effects, injuries and overtraining. And you just got to find that balance, that perfect balance where, where you're balancing rest and recovery and intensity. So uh, the dosage is definitely, that's variable. That is something that it's not the it's same variable for, for everybody. For everybody. But, but again, like we said in, earlier in, in, in this episode, you know, you have to modulate intensity. So if you're doing one or two really intense workouts a week, the rest of your week, if you're going to work out or do some kind of quote unquote exercise for the rest of the week, just make sure it's, it's, it, you're not doing something crazy all out, you know, uh, every single day of the week. Mm-hmm. Playing basketball at a very high level and then the next day running at a, mm-hmm. at, at a six minute mile pace, a seven minute mm-hmm. mile pace. And then the next day doing your high intensity work and everything, every time you exercise, it's always all out. That is, it, no, you're not, it doesn't make you yeah. better. I think the bullet points are A, exercise is a stimulus and B, your rest and recovery is directly related to the level of intensity. Exactly. So if it's, if it's a Very high good. intensity, you need more time after the uh, actual exercise. You, you made something to sing. It was excellent. There you go. Good job. See? Okay. I take after the greatest. All right. You're learning. See, in only 20 minutes, you learn. All right. What else are we going to talk about? Uh, let's see on the list. We see you cannot exercise while injured. Well, yeah. Well, that depends, right? It depends. Well, this is the point. The point is, let's say, uh, let me give you an example. It just happened. Just happened. I mean, this, and, and this, is, this is one of hundreds of examples I can give you after 20 years of doing it. Two days ago, a client of mine, who happens to be a medical doctor, which is interesting, she says to me, I, I broke my finger. I recently just broke my finger. Uh, and the doctor says, uh, I'm not, the finger's not going to be better and ready. Sounds to- like a joke. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so this doctor walked in. No, this client walked in and said, hey, doc, I broke my finger. I, no. got, the, I got this duck on my head. <laughs> I said, well, you can't exercise. She says to me, listen, my doctor told me that my finger's not going to be better for another four or six weeks. That, you know, take me out of the schedule until, until it's better. I was like, wait, you broke, you have, uh, uh, she, so she felt that she had a broken finger and therefore she can't grip things she can't grip, and she yeah. does do certain things that, you know, let's scrap the whole thing. And she wrote at the end of her email to me saying that she couldn't do it for four to six weeks. She's like, ah, so frustrating. So I wrote back, have no fear that you can, first of all, work your whole lower body and we can do a lot of upper body exercises don't require you using your finger at all. And that's important to exercise when you're injured because the we're fortunate though to have equipment because there's a lot of places that don't have uh, like a flying machine without a grip on sure. it or a rowing, the rowing torso, which involves no gripping, and you can get where you can get anterior and posterior upper body muscles. There's something called indirect effect, and that right. is right. Uh, if you can't exercise a particular part of your body, that's okay. Work out the parts that you can because they will have an indirect effect on the strength of the, of the immobile part of the body that you can't use. It will atrophy less if you're still active and you're still working out despite the injury. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want you doing things that are going to exacerbate that injury. Absolutely. And I know my client was being very cautious and conservative when she wanted to cancel appointments. But she, little did she know about indirect effect and the fact that there's lots of things we can do that won't exacerbate her, her current injury. And she, when, I, when I pointed it out to her, she was like, all right, keep me in the schedule. Thank you. So, yes, you can work out when you're injured. Obviously, check with a professional to make sure what you're doing is not going to exacerbate your injury. But it's actually, if you can, it's better to do what you can while you're injured. So when you do get back into the game and uh, your, your injury is healed, uh, you're not starting from ground zero. You're starting from a higher level. Yeah. Okay. I mean, exactly. Oftentimes, like uh, mobility and work is what, exactly what you need in order to get better. 
you know, okay. sometimes. But yeah. How do I do on that one? I give you a B plus. B plus, not bad. All right. Uh, okay, I, this is this is a big one. This is a big, big, big one. All right, and Mike. Let, let me see how you do on this one. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna pretend I'm a client making this comment, and you're gonna respond to me. Okay. All right, Mike. Yes. What can we do for this? My my lower abs. You know, I, I'm pretty happy with the upper part of my abs, but down here I got kind of like this, this like pooch pouch whatever. You know, like I had three kids, and uh, you know, I, it just my lower abs are just a mess. Uh-huh. You know, can we do some lower ab exercises, please? Uh-huh. Can we emphasize the lower abs? Yeah, a lot of people uh, come in and they have uh, they want to work their lower abs. They say, uh, and uh, because of the whatever they they report the pooch and stuff like that. Sometimes that's just some uh, alterations with their nutrition that they have to actually. Uh, Let's uh, get to the point about whether you can work your lower abs or not. I know you're. You can isolate well, your lower abs. I was giving this speech a hundred times about. <laughs> Nerve innervation and the rectus abdominis. <laughs> yeah. Okay, right? you don't have to go like that. <laughs> oh, it, uh, but can you can you isolate your lower abs, Michael? Uh, you cannot. Uh, if you're talking about the rectus abdominis, no, you cannot li- isolate. Thank you your very lower. much. Okay, yes. let's move on to the next. One. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's the succinct answer. Everybody yeah. clear on that? Yeah. No, I no. The, you uh, can't isolate your lower abs, right? It's one long muscle attached to the top of your rib down to your pubic bone. And, yes. and when your lower abs contract, so does your upper abs. It, all... it, that is a fact. The thing is people feel it differently yes. because yes. they've either done the, a crunch from the lower part of the body or the yeah. upper part of the body yeah. sometimes, but they are not, I think, I think they also confuse that with their hip flexors, which is another which thing, is, yeah. which is kind of around the waist and gets confused with the lower yeah. abs sometimes. Yeah. But the, but the, the big thing is people don't, they think that if I just do lower ab exercises because they feel it there, they're yeah. actually just getting their lower abs. But in fact, I, I have my clients tested what I do when they, when they think that I say, look, watch, check this out. Put your hand, put one hand here and I put their finger like on their lower abs. And then I say, put another hand over here and I put it on the upper abs and I have them do it, mm-hmm. do some type of abdominal, you know, spinal flexion. And lo and behold, they feel a contract in both spots. Mm-hmm. And they're like, huh, what do you, what do you know about that? Mm-hmm. You know? And, uh, so the point is that they're, they're like you were about to say that I, I rudely interrupted you. You know, they when when somebody You've been has, hostile today. When, yeah, I don't know why I'm it's a little right. today. I haven't eaten very much. <laughs> you, you've been watching the news again. <laughs> yeah. uh, your point was, you know, uh, what, what what people sometimes store fat in their lower abs, especially uh, women that have had children. You know, and they're genetically predisposed to have that pooch. Um, it's it's tough to get rid of that, no matter how much exercise. That's not necessarily a muscular thing. thing. Even yeah, thing. yeah. So uh, unfortunately, uh, it, there might not be much you can do uh, in, in the way of exercise for that thing, uh, for that problem. Uh, certainly, we don't want to mislead people and think that if you start doing some exercises that that kind of where you feel in the lower part of the abdominals, that that that's going to give them some kind of benefit. I don't want to give that kind of false hope, and I want to be honest uh, about what 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 the facts are. Some people don't like to hear that, and sometimes they don't even want to believe it. Uh, but that 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 is the truth, you know. Hey, you have two beautiful kids. I say, you know, all right, you know that that's the trade off. You know, uh, if you want to ensure that your abs would be in perfect shape the rest of your life, you might have thought twice about having kids. You shouldn't have had. So what kids, are your goals? Okay? You know, I mean, what are your priorities? Uh, the kids, cost of kid, kids or, or yeah so you know i get it i get it it's it's frustrating uh but that's you know these are the choices we make but certainly doing lower ab exercise is not going to solve the problem we don't want to sell those kind of pipe dreams 
All right. What else we got going? Okay. So our final myth of the day is the more you sweat, the more you burn. Adam? Yeah. Um, I don't like the way that's worded. I mean, I guess that we, we talked about like cardio and exercise burning calories, and that's not really the way to go. Uh, but a lot of people associate sweating, the fact that you're sweating, that the more you sweat, the more you're exercising. And, and that's something I want to address because we, we recommend people work out in a very cool environment when they work out so they don't overheat. And a lot of times people say, why is it so cold in your gym? Don't, doesn't it doesn't have to be warm, so your muscles have to warm up. And first of all, I always say, well, your muscles are always going to be 98.7 degrees anyway, but so no matter what temperature, the you know, outside. You know what and they mean. I keep it cool in here so you don't overheat because when you overheat, your production is diminished. So we want you to maximize your production, maximize your output for the greatest stimulus of the muscle. So we like to keep it cool. But besides that, we don't want you to overheat because overheating can be dangerous. You know, let's say they'll come back four weeks later and then now they're really starting to get into the workout and they start to break a sweat, right? They're working out because now I'm, they're learning how to really work out hard after a couple of workouts. And they say, I thought you said I wasn't going to sweat. And I said, no, 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 I didn't say that. I said, we don't want you to overheat during your workout. That's why we keep it cool in here. Just because you're sweating doesn't mean you're overheating necessarily. So I didn't say, I didn't promise you weren't going to sweat. Everyone's different when it comes to that. The thing is, a lot of people think that unless you're sweating, you're not working out hard enough. And that's just not true. People work out very intensely here, and they might break a sweat on their brow here and a very, very minor sweat. Some people, they profusely sweat here, no matter how cold we keep it in the room, because that's just the way they're, they're programmed. You know, some people sweat more than others. I don't sweat very much when I work out, uh, unless it's really hot in the room. Uh, so, you know, everyone, everyone's different that way, but I can assure you, uh, that just because you're not sweating doesn't mean you're not working out. And let me tell you something else, just because you are, and just because you are sweating and just because you are sweating, exactly, Mike, doesn't mean you are working out. All right. So they're not related per se. I guess you, I mean, you do burn more. The more you sweat, the more you burn. If burning calories is what you're trying to do. I think you are burning more calories by over. I'm not quite uh, sure about that, to be honest. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure about that either. uh, Yeah, so let's strike that. Strike that from the record. (laughs) But but keep it on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, but 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 don't over. I mean, they they have they have certain exercise programs that actually encourage a lot of sweating and keep the environment very hot. I just think that's actually dangerous and absolutely not necessary. Uh, So. I'm not going to name names of the brands that do that, but we all know, we've all heard of the hot workouts that uh, encourage sweating and encourage warming up the muscles. And I, and I just think it's a, people, you know, we can adapt, you know, human beings have the ability to adapt to anything, including working out in very uncomfortable temperatures, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's good for you. It doesn't mean it's healthy for you. Uh, and uh, so therefore, uh, in terms of pr- production and, and physiologically making yourself stronger and healthier, working out in a hot environment is not helpful. That's different from, however, I mean, I might as well bring this up because it's popping into my brain. You know, if, if you take a job that's going to be outside a lot and, and you're not used to being outside a lot in the heat and because and, you take you go from a desk job, the next thing you know, you become a roofer. <laughs> I don't know how many people go from desk jobs to become roofers. But if you did go from a desk job to become a roofer and you're not used to working in, in heat all day long, it behooves you to maybe start doing things in the heat for a while and build yourself up to that tolerance of heat. Again, doesn't mean you're healthier because you can handle the heat. It just means you've adapted to working in heat. Doesn't necessarily mean it's healthier. All right, I'll leave it at that. All right, so... Uh, that was an example of succinctness? I don't know. <laughs> maybe not. 
<laughs> not my best work. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this, everybody. Uh, those are there are many more myths, but um, you know those are some big ones, and I hope we cleared some things up for you. If, if uh, you know if you yeah. believe some of these things, I, I think all of them uh, are are still discussions. And I think if you have questions, definitely email us or uh, call us or come in and see us. And if you think we're full of shit, tell us that too. We'd love to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Informed Fitness Podcast with New York Times bestselling author, Adam Zickerman. Adam's book is titled Power of 10, The Once-A-Week Slow-Motion Fitness Revolution, and it's just a click away and available at Amazon. For about 15 bucks, you'll find exercises that you can do in your own home along with some great nutritional tips that will help you build muscle and burn the fat. And some additional exercise myths will be debunked with an exercise protocol that is backed by science. We will have a link in the show notes to Adam's book, and we also invite you to try this workout for yourself. There are several informed fitness locations across the U.S. To find a location nearest you and then to cash in on a free 20-minute once-a-week workout, click the link in the show notes to informfitness.com. Once you're there, you'll click the Try Us Free button on the homepage, fill out the form, Pick your location and enjoy a slow-motion, high-intensity, full-body workout in just 20 minutes. You'll see results in your body composition and, most importantly, your strength in about six weeks or less. You know, we have interviewed several authors over the past 54 episodes here on the Informed Fitness Podcast, and many of those authors have their audiobooks available through Audible. We would like to offer you, Informed Nation, a free audiobook download just for listening to this podcast. Simply click the link in the show notes to audibletrial.com forward slash inbound and sign up for a free 30-day membership trial from Audible. Then you can download any book you want for free. If you like podcasts, you're going to love audiobooks. Give it a shot and try it for free, risk-free for 30 days, audibletrial.com forward slash inbound. We hope you enjoyed this episode and invite you to join us again next time for the Informed Fitness Podcast. For Adam Zickerman and Mike Rogers with Inform Fitness, I'm Tim Edwards with the Inbound Podcasting Network.